You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome to yeah. episode six. We zero. The Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by Bedfred Sportsbook. It is Thursday. October 20th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for just a jam-packed episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We are going to open. Normally, the Thursday show is the almost Friday edition where we start to kind of look ahead to the weekend. Here's the problem. They are not done looking back on last weekend at Alabama. We talk about a team that I believe is at the crossroads. You have the Jermaine Burton video. You have the Nick Saban announcing it's going to be handled internally. You have fans blaming the refs. You have players saying they have anxiety when they step on the field. And we take, we take sport, we take mental health very seriously here on the air tour sports podcast. But you, you just, you look at what is going on in Alabama. It is chaos right now. We're going to break it all down and we're going to ask the very simple question. Is this a season that can be saved at Alabama from there? We'll get to some hoops. Greg Sankey again, pushing for college basketball NCAA tournament expansion. I tell you why he's out of his mind. And then from there, we wrap with some news and notes from college basketball media days. The SEC had their media day. We talk about Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky. We also talk about the Big East media day. We had one of our writers from Aaron Torres online there. Uh, A lot of good stuff. A lot of college hoops. We will obviously open with Alabama prior to the Friday show where we will preview the weekend ahead. Before we get started, I do want to remind you of a couple quick things. One, want to thank our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. Betfred Sportsbook app, we love working with them. I'm going to keep telling you. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops. They have come to the U.S., and they are making a big splash. They are the presenting gambling sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Denver Broncos, of the Colorado Rockies, and nobody does more for their customers than Betfred Sportsbook. If you live in Arizona, they are doing big tailgates and get-togethers for Arizona Cardinals games. We sent two Aaron Torres pod listeners, four people total, to the Denver Broncos tailgate two Thursdays ago against the Indianapolis Colts. Cincinnati Bengals, sweet. So many good things. I love working with this group, and here's the great part. On top of everything else, they take care of their customers in the sportsbook. Here's what you can do today. 
first-time users, bet $50. Get $250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. You can bet on any game. NFL Thursday night, New Orleans at Arizona. College football Saturday, Texas, Oklahoma State, LSU, Ole Miss, Alabama, Mississippi State. Whoever you want to bet on, we'll give you the preview of the games tomorrow. But today, you can go make the bet right now. Bet 50, get 250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. I love working with them. We're going to have some really cool giveaways in the lead up to the season ahead. Um, college basketball, college football, tailgate experiences. Just stay tuned. It's going to be awesome with the Betfred Sportsbook. Really quickly, not really quickly, just in general. I also want to thank Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com for being the sponsor of our Aaron Torres NFL Pod Pick'em Challenge. I've told you the deal by now. Free to enter. Make sure, by the way, if you have not made your Week 7 picks in the NFL, go ahead and do that right now. Week 7 is here. Go there. It's free to enter. If you're already in the pool, make sure you make your picks. If you have not signed up yet, it's not too late. Here's the deal. $100 cash prizes every single week for our weekly winner and a $1,000 season-long cash prize credit to our Week 7 winner, Ryan Lerman. Shout out to Ryan. Congratulations. You got the email. I know because I was CC'd on it. I saw it, Ryan, with my own two eyes. You get $100 courtesy of Bracket Fanatics, and also you are, of course, entered as long as you keep winning to win a $1,000 season-long cash prize at the end of the year. Again, thank you to Bracket Fanatics. If you are not signed up yet, what are you waiting for? Go to BracketFanatics.com, enter Join Pool. There's a Join Pool, Join Bracket link. Just click that. The pool is named Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S, and enter. If you're already entered, make sure to make your week seven picks. So that like Ryan, you can win free cash courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. We appreciate their support. We appreciate them being a great, great, great sponsor of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Congratulations to Ryan Lerman, our week seven winner. And if you have not signed up, make sure to do so. And oh, by the way, if you have signed up, make your week seven picks now. Do not wait. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, it's really interesting, right? Usually by the Thursday show, we have already started to certainly transition out of the previous weekend and into the following weekend and what I like to call the almost Friday episode. We start talking about the big games and matchups and storylines and everything. But I have to lead this Thursday show by continuing to talk about the fallout from Alabama, Tennessee. Alabama loses at Tennessee. It's a great game. Everybody enjoyed the heck out of it unless you're an Alabama fan. 17 million people watched it. But over the course of this week, it is clear. I saw three different things that make it very clear to me that everybody surrounding Alabama football, the fans, the players, the coaches, everybody's looking for answers to try and figure out what's wrong with Alabama. And I think more importantly, they're trying to figure out, can we get this thing fixed before it's too late? And it's funny, right? I was thinking about this kind of just as I was prepping for the show and all that and really watching everything going on at Alabama. You know, I started doing this professionally in around the fall of 2009, okay? And I bring that up. It's an interesting date for me to have begun doing this professionally because that was the year Nick Saban won his first national championship at Alabama. 
And so if you kind of take from the time that I started and really followed this sport and sports in general on a day-to-day basis from a professional perspective, um, it's interesting because there's never really been a moment in time quite like this for Alabama. Now, they haven't been great or perfect in, in you know every single game since I started doing this, since Alabama won its first national championship. 2010, they take a little bit of a dip. They go 10 and three, but then they immediately bounce back with back-to-back national championships in 2010 and 20 or 2011 and 2012, excuse me. Um, And from there, you know, this thing just kind of really picked up steam and they certainly again, haven't won a national championship every year, but usually they're in the hunt. Usually if they lose, it is to a, you know, not strange circumstance, but a unique circumstance, either a player it has a otherworldly performance like a Cam Newton, like a Johnny Manziel. Maybe a lose to a Joe Burrow in LSU when two was basically playing on one leg. Remember, he had the ankle injury that year. Or it's late in the playoff when you're playing an Ohio State or a Clemson that's just a really good football team. And so just to be clear, we're not doing the whole the dynasty is dead, it's all over, and Alabama, again, can still win the national championship this year. The, everything that they want to do is still on the table, and it is always important to note that this was a team that lost in October in a big road game last year to Texas A&M and still played for a national championship. But at the same time, I saw some stuff this week that makes it very clear to me that this feels different, that this is a program that right now is just, they're not only not living up to our outside expectations, but to use a Nick Sabanism, they're not living up to the expectations internally with inside the program. Too many penalties, too many mistakes, fear when they take the field. And I think what I've seen over the last week or so since the Tennessee loss is a program that everybody is looking for answers, the fans, the coaches, the players. Let's get into it. First of all, let me say this. The first thing and the most surprising thing to me, and I don't want to lump every single Alabama fan into this category, the number of Alabama fans that are just completely blaming the refs for Saturday's loss. Now, listen, I don't think the refs were perfect. I think there was a couple plays that were iffy, that were 50-50, that were this or that, that could have gone either way. But one, there were some other calls that could have gone against Tennessee. Two, I do find it very interesting um, that Alabama fans and Alabama in general are the ones that are upset with the refs when for the last 10 years, all I've heard from 13 other SEC fan bases is that Alabama gets all the breaks. But outside of that, it has been weird to me to see the reaction of Alabama fans. I've seen some Alabama fans, some media kind of claiming there's video, like video of a ref, like clenching his fist as if he's celebrating, calling a play against Alabama. Alabama fans, can you stop it with the blaming of the refs? Now, this was more of a Monday, Tuesday thing, but we need to reiterate. Alabama fans, stop blaming the refs, okay? You want to know why you lost the game? It wasn't the guys in stripes. It was the guys in crimson and white. You committed 17 penalties. You gave the best offense in college football 130 extra yards of offense. Oh, by the way, gave up 21 points in the first quarter, 28 points at the half. You missed a field goal late. Your coaches did not manage the clock well late. Do not tell me it's the refs. Even if you should have had 15 penalties instead of 17, you didn't lose the game because of the refs. You lost the game because of the 85 guys in crimson and white. And so stop selling me that it's the refs fault that you lost this game. So one I'm not blaming all Alabama fans, but I am saying, man, it's just not a good look. It's not a good look for a program that's won probably 90 or so percent of its games over the last 15 years. What I would also say is you could tell something's not right with the players, right? I mean, first of all, we have the Jermaine Burton situation still developing as I record here. 
But I think everybody kind of knows the gist of what Jermaine Burton did. I think we all kind of saw the video. For those of you who haven't, Jermaine Burton, highly touted wide receiver as a transfer coming in this year from Georgia. And what happened with Jermaine Burton? Walking off the field, we have a video of him appearing to strike a woman in the face. I don't know. The video to me is grainy. I'm not going to use the word punch. I'm not going to use the word slap. It's tough to see, but it appears as though there is something there. So one, that's just not very Alabama-like. And I know some non-Alabama fans will disagree. Listen, this is a program that from everything I remember, and maybe you guys and girls that are AM fans or Tennessee fans or Auburn fans or Georgia fans have different memories. This is generally a program that, in my opinion, from the outside, it appears as though they've like, I guess, lost with class. Like, I don't, I, you know, I've, every time I remember Alabama losing, Nick Saban walks to the podium. Joe Burrow was incredible. Johnny Manziel was incredible. Clemson's well coached, this, that. And Nick Saban did that after the game on Saturday. But to have a player act out in this way, I mean, it just speaks to there's clearly friction. There's clearly frustration within the locker room. And I'll say this, too. I don't think Nick Saban handled the Jermaine Burton situation very well. As I got set to record here, Wednesday night into Thursday, we get a statement from Nick Saban. This is being handled internally. Now, he said earlier in the day, I'm going to collect all the facts. Well, apparently he collected enough facts where it's going to be handled internally, which to me, not going to lie, feels a lot like Coach K. Remember Coach K with the Grayson Allen thing four, five, six years ago? We're going to handle this internally. Indefinite suspension. We're going to figure out this is what we do here. And I'm not saying Nick Saban has to throw the guy off the team. But what I am saying is it's really, really, really bad. It's never okay to put your hands on another person, especially a female if you're a male. I'd like a little more from Nick Saban than this is going to be handled internally. Could you at least give me the Coach K we're, we're going to give Jermaine an indefinite suspension so we can collect all the facts. Can you give me something a little more stern than this is what we're going to do? And then you want to take it to another level. This is the worst part. Nick Saban blamed fans rushing the field for his players' actions. Here is what he said about the Jermaine Burton suspension, or not even suspension. He said, we're going to handle it internally. This is what he said. He said, we handle discipline issues internally, and that's, what, where we'll, that's the way we'll handle this. Not a fan of that for me personally. But then he said on top of that, he goes, but as I said today, when I was asked about it, the league has tried to control people from rushing the field. It's a difficult circumstance for the league, difficult circumstances for the people on the field, but we have to go through these difficult circumstances and still respect other people. I think that's on us to do that. And that's a lesson for all of us to learn relative to this. Two quick thoughts on that. One, well, three, I I mean, I tend to agree, but you're never going to stop fans from rushing the field. That's one. Two. I do think we have to respect other people, but the guy that didn't show respect was his own player. And three, no matter what you say, no matter how you say it, this looks like you're blaming a player potentially striking a fan on the field for fans rushing the field. No, it's never okay, Nick Saban. It's never okay to do that. I think this looks incredibly weak. Finally, what I would say, it's been a bad week. But did you see what Will Anderson said the other day? Because this, out of everything, speaks to what I've been saying for weeks. This Bama team isn't right. And it doesn't mean that they can't figure it out. And it doesn't mean that they can't win a national championship. But did you see what uh, what, what Will Anderson said this week? Here is what Will Anderson said when he was asked about the Tennessee game. And by the way, this followed on Monday. Nick Saban admitted. He said when he was walking out of the tunnel with his guys, He basically said that they weren't cheering, they weren't hooting, they weren't hollering. I said, guys, what's the matter? 
Here's what Will Anderson said. He said, most definitely, I think we probably just had a lot of anxiety. We didn't have the same intensity that we had a couple of weeks ago. We definitely needed that to carry over to this game, but the intensity just wasn't where it needed to be. When asked why the intensity was missing, probably, just like I said, just having a little bit of anxiety for the game. A big road game. Okay, a couple things here. Say it all the time. Anxiety is a serious word. I do not make light of mental health. I do not make fun of it. I do not. I'm not. This is not what I'm doing. Okay. I've told you over and over and over again, multiple family members work in the mental health space. I have nothing but respect for mental health. But the fact that Will Anderson used the word anxiety, there was stress. There was fear about going into an opponent's stadium. That's not the Alabama I know. The only fear that the previous generation had was for the other team. The only concern they had was if they were going to have to play in the fourth quarter or not. That's not the Alabama that I know. Anxiety, anxiety for the game, a big road game. You live for big road games if you're Alabama. And so I can go on and on, but you guys get the point. I'm yelling and screaming because I'm so fired up because I see a great football team that wants to be, that, that has the potential to be. One of the great teams Nick Saban has ever had. And it's just not there. And it's all in their heads. You know what I was thinking on Thursday, on Wednesday? Now for the last probably year, we've been saying Georgia's the new Bama. Georgia's the new Bama. In other words, they're the team that strikes fear in everybody. They're coming to rip your heart out. I tend to agree with that. You know who Bama is? Georgia's the new Bama. Bama's the old Georgia. Bama is the old Georgia. What do I mean by that? Georgia, for years, big game. They didn't have the confidence. They didn't have the belief that they were going to go out and win it. We all remember the games. Lose to Bama in the title game. Lose to Bama in the SEC championship game a year after. Lose to LSU. Lose to Bama last year in the SEC championship game. They get over that hump. They win the national championship. I don't think they're perfect. I don't think they're close to, to last year. I don't think they're better than Bama this year. But they don't play with fear. And that's what I see from Alabama. And so to answer the question... This is a weird time, and I do think everybody's looking for answers. I do think fans are looking for answers. I do think the coaching staff is looking for answers. I don't know if they're going to get them. You have the fan base on edge. You have the players doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and you have players talking about anxiety. You have a team captain, a first-round pick, and I love Will Anderson. I bet him to win the Heisman. A lot of money I'm going to lose on that bet, but the point I'm trying to make, this is not the Bama that we know, and until I see that killer instinct come back. Has to start with Mississippi State this weekend. Out of the bye, you got to go to LSU and make a point. You got to go to Ole Miss and make a point. Because this Alabama team that I see, this is not the Alabama team that I know. And I think I'm one of many people that is looking for answers with this team. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back and I do want to talk a little college hoops. Greg Sankey, he's still pushing for NCAA tournament expansion. He's out of his mind. I'm going to tell you why he's dead wrong. And then we'll talk some other news and notes from conference media days. SEC had their media days. Big East had their media days. We'll discuss all that. Going to take a quick break. You already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's switch gears and let's talk a little college hoops. And it wasn't my intention going into the week of like, oh, we got to talk a lot of college hoops this week. But things are getting close. We had the AP poll come out the other day. And the way I know things are getting close is outside of the AP poll, we're starting to get a lot of these media days, conference media days across college basketball. Last week, it was the Big Ten, the ACC, the A-10 for those Dayton Flyers fans that might be listening to the show or Rhode Island Rams fans or George Mason fans or whatever it may be. Uh, this week, it was the Big East and the Big 12 and the SEC. Next week's the Pac-12, and we're going to start to kind of put a bow on everything and really get ready for college basketball, which again is now just in the front view mirror. We're about two and a half weeks away from the start of college basketball season. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to give some kind of news and notes from across the media day scope. But I want to start with the topic that will not die. And the reason part of it, it will not die is because people in my business keep asking different people about it. You get different answers, which starts the news cycle all over again. But I do want to talk about the conversation that has been going on since the summer. We talked about it during the summer the idea of an alteration of the NCAA tournament. I think we all got to understand what the NCAA tournament is and isn't at this point. 68 teams, couple playing games, start with a bracket of 64 on Thursday, and then it is go time from there. Uh, I, I think it goes without saying, I think it's one of the best sporting events, if not the best event itself that we have in, co- in not only college sports, but maybe in sports in general brings in all sorts of different fan bases and groups and everybody enters a pool and you make money and it's it's just a great, great, great thing. 
But really over probably the last five, six, seven, eight weeks, there's been a lot of conversation about the idea that some change might be coming to this thing. It started in the summer with a report, I believe it was from Jeff Goodman, that we might be taking away the automatic bid from the NCAA tournament. And then later on, Greg Sankey clarified and said, we're not taking away automatic bids, but instead I think the plan would be instead to maybe include some more teams. And so this has been a constant topic of conversation. Uh, Everybody was asked about it over the last three, four, five days. I don't have everybody's uh, answers in front of me, but Eric Musselman, the Arkansas coach, said he likes it the way it is. I saw Mike Young, the uh, Virginia Tech coach, says he likes it the way it is. I saw Dennis Gates, the coach at Missouri, says that he wants the field doubled. Uh, I think it was uh, Scott Drew at Baylor said he'd like to see some expansion as well. Jim Beheim has been arguing for expansion. And so it's one of these topics that's really kind of popular and divisive. But I want to talk about it today because Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, was once again asked about it. He once again gave his stock answer. And I am just here to tell you that when I tell you that this guy is trying to push BS on you, this guy is trying to push BS on you. And when I tell you that he is giving you bogus reasons for expanding the NCAA tournament and fighting to change this thing that we love, I promise you, he is giving you bogus reasons to expand this thing, the thing that we love so much. And so what I want to do is go through his updated comments, which are not all that different from his previous comments. But again, I just want to share what he's saying. I want to share his logic. I want to be fair to him. And then I absolutely want to rip to shreds his entire argument because I think it's it's awful. Um, and I want to give you guys and girls AMO too, in case anybody in your bar conversations, your work conversations thinks this is a good idea. It's a terrible idea. So again, this has been a hot topic of conversation. Greg Sankey was again asked about it at SEC Media Day uh, on, well, I guess it would have been Wednesday. And here is what he said. And I want to be fair to Greg Sankey. I want to read his full quotes so that no one says, oh, Torres, you're trying to push your little narrative on us. And you misquoted Greg Sankey. All right. So here's what Greg Sankey said about possible expansion. He said, what I've been through is a set of conversations at the national level about being fearful through this NCA transformation process that things would be taken away. My advocacy was, rather than worrying about taking things away, why don't we take a step back and think about how we grow? The division has grown over time. The number of members, the quality of basketball, the commitment that I've talked about here, the expectations that are on any number of programs nationally. So why don't we facilitate these opportunities? And then he continued with two things that have been his strong talking points on why we should expand. It is informed by the fact that I think A&M, Texas A&M, was playing as well as anybody in men's basketball last March and didn't have access. Then you look at baseball, where Ole Miss is recognized as the last team in and then is such a, is of such competitive quality that it wins a national championship. It opens your mind to say, are we leaving some of these teams in a bandwidth of maybe the top 50 out from a net standpoint that should be looked at differently? So Greg Sankey, I don't know a lot about his background before he got to the SEC offices, but he used a lot of lawyer speak and fancy words and SAT words to try to throw you off his scent. Let me break down what he said in a very simplistic way. I'm going to break it down and then I'm going to explain to you my thoughts on it. He starts by saying what we've been through is a national set of conversations 
through the transformation process about things being taken away. My advocacy was rather than worrying about taking things away, why don't we take a step back and think about ways to grow? So basically what he is saying there is this. There was a conversation earlier that you may have heard about, about the possibility of removing team or, or removing the automatic bids and making it the same field, but with different parameters to get in. That is not what I'm in favor of. He said what he's in favor of is expanding how do we grow as his exact quote. And his logic is a few different things. One, he says the division has grown over time. In other words, uh, division one college basketball has gone from however many teams were now well over 350. His argument is the quality of basketball has gone up. The expectations of any number of programs nationally, in other words, now the expectation at a lot of schools is to at least make the NCAA tournament. So why don't we facilitate those opportunities? Then the second part is where he gets into it. He argues that Texas A&M, remember, we talked about them on the Aaron Torres podcast the day after Selection Sunday. This was a team that played for the SEC title in basketball. They get to the tournament in the 8-9 game. They play Florida. They beat Florida. They beat the number one seed Auburn. They beat the number four seed Arkansas, who ended up playing in the Elite Eight. They lose in the championship game, and Greg Sankey said they did not have access to the tournament because they did not win the NCAA tournament, because they didn't win the SEC tournament. And then he reiterates a point he made a few months ago that Ole Miss in college baseball won the national championship despite being the last team in. And he said he thinks it's time to start looking at things differently. All right, so now, now that I told you what he said, we got to be fair to both sides. Let me explain to you why it's complete nonsense, okay? So first of all, credit to him because he is saying he doesn't want to reduce access to the tournament. And that was the big concern initially, right? The first conversation that we heard over the summer was the possibility that the NCAA tournament might be removing automatic bids. In other words, those small schools from those small conferences wouldn't have a chance to get into the NCAA tournament. And he said, that's not what I'm hoping for at all. I want all those teams to get in. I just think we need to consider expanding to let more of the peripheral teams in. So first of all, I will sort of say, okay, Greg Sankey, okay, at least we got this right. At least we're not removing automatic bids. Because to me, and I think to most of you, the small schools are what makes the NCAA tournament, right? Nobody remembers when a nine seed from the Big Ten makes the Sweet 16 or an eight seed from the ACC makes the Sweet 16. But when St. Peter's makes the Elite Eight, that becomes one of the great sports stories of the year. When VCU, when they were in the Colonial as an 11 seed, makes the Final Four, that's one of the great stories of the year. When Butler, which was in the horizon, makes the Final Four in back-to-back -back years, that is a great story. So at least let's give credit to Greg Sankey for basically saying we're not trying to keep anybody out. We just want to expand this bad boy out and include more teams. So now instead of being at, say, 68, do we go to 72, 80, whatever to get more teams in? This, unfortunately is where Greg Sankey loses me. And he loses me because his arguments to fight for more teams in is utter nonsense. Okay, so let's start with the Texas A&M team, and I'm going to read you again the quote from Greg Sankey. It is informed by the fact that A&M was playing as well as anybody in men's basketball last March and didn't have access. Okay, what I would say, I would agree with Greg Sankey. They were probably playing as well as anybody in college basketball last March when they lost in the SEC championship game to Tennessee. What I would also say is two things. 
They were not denied access. They did not have a resume to get in because college basketball is a five-month sport. There are a lot of teams that lose in the conference championship game that make the NCAA tournament. Duke, as an example, lost in the conference championship game last year, ACC tournament to Virginia Tech. Duke got access because they were awesome all season long. Same with UCLA in the Pac-12. Losing the Pac-12 championship game, they're in. Why didn't Texas A&M get in? It's not because they, quote-unquote, didn't have access. It's because they were terrible for most of the season. And listen, I love Buzz Williams. I think he's one of the most, I think he's literally one of the most underrated coaches in the modern era of college basketball. You know Marquette, he made three, I think it was three Sweet 16s, one Elite Eight. Marquette has not won a tournament game since he left. First coach ever to take Virginia Tech back to to three straight NCAA tournaments. This guy's a stud. I love Buzz Williams. But last year's Texas A&M team wasn't good for most of the year. How do I know? Oh, it's because, how about this? I'm just going to read you some of their results from the middle of the season. Texas A&M. This is Texas A&M basketball coached by Buzz Williams. Star player last year was a kid named Quentin Jackson. Really good player. Here was their record. Here is what they did starting in mid-January from January 19th on. Lost to Kentucky. Lost to Arkansas. Lost to LSU. Lost to South Carolina. Lost to Tennessee. Lost to Missouri. Lost to LSU. Lost to Auburn. Winning against Florida. Did you hear what I just said? I said it really fast. Texas A&M. The team that Greg Sankey is crying crocodile tears for. Is that the term that people use? They lost eight straight games in the middle of the year. Texas A&M lost eight straight games in the middle of the season. They did not win a game in the calendar month for a calendar month. From January 15th, when they lost to Kentucky, until February 15th, when they beat Florida, they did not win a single game. They had an eight-game losing streak in the middle of the year. That's the team that Greg Sankey wants us to cry tears for because they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Stop it, Greg Sankey. That team was probably playing well enough to win, well enough to make the NCAA tournament, but it's a a five-month-a-year sport. You can't take a month off in the middle of conference play and expect us to just pretend like everything's hunky-dory. Let's take it a step further. He keeps referencing Ole Miss. Ole Miss, they made the, the last team in the college baseball playoff. Now, we're not talking basketball. The college baseball, world, college baseball NCAA tournament. They were the last team in, and they won the championship. They won the College World Series, beat Oklahoma, beat Oklahoma in Omaha. And what I would say is this. Here's the deal. You guys and girls know. Two weeks a year, every year, I love me some college baseball. Nobody loves college baseball more than your boy Torres. But, 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 I can't sit here and say how the college baseball tournament works. I can't sit here and say how unpredictable it was that Ole Miss won the college baseball national championship, okay? What I can tell you, though, is this. There is no modern equivalent of Ole Miss in college baseball, in college basketball, that if they had just gotten in, they're good enough to win it. And this is Greg Sankey's argument. Well, we're potentially leaving out teams that were good enough to win it. No, we're not, Greg Sankey. I am positive of this, and let me tell you why. I've used this stat many times before, okay? So NCAA tournament, the last 15 NCAA tournaments, which is over, a, it's it's 14 NCAA tournaments over a 15-year period. Remember, there was no NCAA tournament in 2020 because of COVID, okay? The last 15 years, 
Here is who has won the NCAA tournament in basketball. Of those 14 years, 11 number one seeds have won it, okay? Including the last four or five years. Last year, it was obviously uh, a team in Kansas that won it. Baylor the year before, Virginia in 2019, 2018, North Carolina, all number one seeds. Beyond that, the Villanova was 18, North Carolina was 17, excuse me, beyond that. On top of that, we have had in the last 14 NCAA tournaments, I'm going to reiterate this point for just emphasis. In the last 14 NCAA tournaments, here's who's won it. 11 number one seeds. We have also had one two seed over the entire 15 years. 11 one seeds, one two seed, which was the top two seed that year. Villanova, Big East regular season and tournament champion in 2016 was a two seed, won the national championship on a buzzer beater. The only two teams since 2007, last 15 years, 14 NCAA tournaments, that have won the NCAA tournament that weren't a one seed or the top two seed were my UConn Huskies in 2011 and 2014. And in both those years, UConn had by far the best player in that tournament, Kemba Walker in 2011, Shabazz Napier in 2014. And so I bring it up because Greg Sankey is going to try and sell you. We're leaving teams out that are good enough to win this thing. What I would tell you is we have a two-decade track record that says, no, we are not. As a matter of fact, the number of teams that can actually win the NCAA tournament is much smaller than people realize, right? And I talk about this all the time. We have guys like Jay Billis and Dick Vitale every, oh, the tournament's so wide open, anybody could win it. Well, that's really not the case. The last 15 years, we've had 11 number one seeds, one number two seed, and two teams that had the best player in the tournament. So don't tell me we're leaving teams out that can win it. As a matter of fact, the number of teams that can actually win this thing is much, much, much smaller than people actually realize. It's usually a group of about five to six teams, and that's really it. So I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to tell your friends. I want you to tweet about it. I want you to tag Greg Sankey when you talk about it. Because what I am telling you, point blank, end of story, I am just telling you, there are not teams that are being left out of the tournament that are good enough to win it. There is not a reason to expand this thing. This thing is perfect as it is. As a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. If we do anything with the NCAA tournament, we should bump it back to 64 teams. We don't really need the plans. We don't need those four extra teams. Now we do it. We're not going back. But the idea that we need to keep expanding, we need to get bigger. No, the only reason Greg Sankey wants more is because it's more money for his schools. We go to 80 or whatever. That's 12 more spots. We're going to get probably at least one to two more SEC teams. Two more spots for the Big Ten, for the ACC, for the Pac-12. It's not going to go to the schools that we actually want to see the small schools. And so I'm not going to keep going on and on. You guys get the point. But the point that I am trying to make very clearly We do not need to expand the NCAA tournament. There is literally nothing. um, There is literally no piece of data that says that we are leaving out teams that are good enough, which means that in theory, all we're actually doing, all that we're actually doing is adding teams that aren't good enough to win it and teams that nobody wants to see. If we wanted to see the 11th best team in the Big 12 or the 10th best team in the SEC, we could watch them in the regular season. But when you go whatever, 19 and 15 during the regular season, forgive me for saying the that we are not leaving out teams that deserve to be in. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With that said, let's get to, you know, some of the other odds and ends from, from media days over the last couple of days. I think we'll stay in the SEC because I do think the S one, I'll just be blunt. A good chunk of our listenership is in SEC country, but two, it's a very fascinating conference. I just want to get to a couple news and notes. First of all, you know, John Calipari did reference Kentucky. Kentucky let me, let me even backtrack. So here is the preseason media poll from SEC media day. Kentucky picked to finish one Arkansas picked to finish two Tennessee, three Auburn, four Alabama, five Texas A&M six. I believe those are the top six teams in the league. And then after that, it gets interesting. Florida at seven, first-year head coach Todd Golden. LSU at eight, first-year head coach Matt McMahon. Ole Miss nine, Mississippi State 10, Missouri 11, Vandy 12, Georgia 13, South Carolina 14. And so a couple things stand out to me. First of all, listen, I think probably the voters got this one right. And I'm not like, Kentucky has to be number one, blah, 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 this and that. I do think when you're talking about a team, and we all know how it ended last March for Kentucky, they did lose to St. Peter's, the team that we just talked about, but you're returning the national player of the year. You're returning your starting point guard. You have two top 20 recruits, McDonald's All-Americans, and two or three nice pieces. Like, you can criticize John Calipari for whatever, but that's probably the team that should be leading the polls, especially when you look behind him. Arkansas at number two, love Arkansas, but they have six freshmen on that roster and overall of their 13 scholarship players, 11 of them are new to the program. Eric Musselman said at media day, it's going to take time. We've had to scale stuff back. We've had to slow down because we are just so young and it's just taking more time to implement things going forward. So I think Kentucky one is good. Arkansas two. What I would say, if there's two teams in this poll that I do believe I think are probably, they're not miss, you know, what's the right word? They're not misseeded in this spot. Um, But I think they could finish better than people expect. I think there's a realistic chance that Tennessee wins the SEC East. And Tennessee, Rick Barnes kind of has that John Calipari isn't winning enough in the NCAA tournament. Blame Rick Barnes, blame John Calipari, blame this, blame that. But if we're talking about, Greg Sankey's talking about Texas A&M being the hottest team in college basketball last year at the end of the season. No, it was Tennessee. Tennessee was awesome down the stretch. They obviously beat Kentucky in the in the SEC tournament. They beat Texas A&M in the title game, and they entered the tournament as just about the hottest team in college basketball. It's worth noting, by the way, they were really good down the stretch in the regular season as well. Uh, when you go back to last season, outside of just the run in the SEC tournament, this was a team that over the final few weeks of the season, they destroyed Kentucky at home. They beat Auburn at home. They beat Arkansas at home. They took care of Mississippi State, um, which was a good team late. And so they were really good last year. And so I think when you look at this team, they were playing as well as anybody last year, and they basically returned their entire core except for Kennedy Chandler, who was a second-round pick of the the Memphis Grizzlies, really talented player. But they have a lot of really good players coming back, okay? Um, First of all, point guard position is set. They got a kid named Zakai Ziegler. Really good, was kind of a backup secondary player last year. He is back. He could be awesome. Santiago Viscovi, 
uh, was voted all SEC first team, 13 points a game, 40% three-point shooter. He's from Uruguay, fascinating player, really good player, Josiah Jordan-James. Also on top of that, a big man named Euros Plavich, and I'm not going through their whole depth chart. What I'm just saying is basically every major contributor from last year outside of one Kennedy Chandler is back. Also, they signed a five-star Julian Phillips, McDonald's All-American, and Olivier Kangwa, who was maybe their best player at one point in the season, gets hurt in the middle of the year. They go on a run without him. He is back as well. And so you talk about a team that I believe potentially could finish better than they are expected to in this poll. And by the way, third wouldn't be bad in this league. Third would not be bad in this league at all. But I would say Tennessee, I think, probably outside of those top two, has the best chance to win this thing. I like Auburn. I like Alabama. Um, but I also do think that that, that Tennessee is probably the one outside of those top two that I like the most. The other team that I think could realistically finish better than people expect is Mississippi State at number 10. And remember, they have a new coach, Chris Jans. He came from New Mexico State. New Mexico State made the second round of the tournament. They beat my UConn Huskies in the opening round. Uh, Teddy Allen, Teddy Buckets. Then they played Arkansas. They did end up losing to Arkansas. But when I look at Mississippi State, a couple key players are back from last year's team, Shaquille Moore and DJ Jeffries. And if you remember that New Mexico State team last year, they were tough, physical, mean they were just a, a really, you know, they, they played a certain style that made it really tough for a lot of people. And I think Chris Jans was an almost perfect hire for this school because that is exactly the kind of play. That's, that's the way that I think Mississippi State needs to play, right? You're not going to recruit five stars like Kentucky. Realistically, you're probably not going to recruit the, the caliber of player that Auburn does or Florida does or Arkansas does or even Tennessee does. And so the plan, instead of doing that, find guys that fit who you are. And I think that's who they're going to be. Tough, physical, mean, um, really good defensively, make life miserable for you. And so they're one. I could see them finishing six, seven, somewhere in there. You know, no real major thoughts outside of that. A um, couple other news and notes from, from the day that were interesting. One, John Calipari did kind of update some injury news from Kentucky on a positive note. Oscar Shibwe, who we talked about a few weeks ago, did undergo some surgery. It appears as though he is doing well. Uh, John Calipari said he's limping around, and not limping in a bad way, but he's he's without crutches, which is good, no swelling. Um, and Calipari said smartly that they're probably going to take their time with him. There's no reason to rush him back. Obviously, for Kentucky, the the big stretch to open the season, they get a couple a couple winnable games at home. Then they play Michigan State in the Champions Classic on. November 15th. They play Gonzaga Sunday, November 20th. And so in my mind, those are the two games that you want Oscar Sheepway back for. But even if he's not ready, then don't rush him back. But it appears as though he's okay. Also worth noting, John Calipari said two other guys, Jacob Toppin and Lance Ware, have been out of practice lately. Doesn't sound like either one is major. I thought it was interesting with Jacob Toppin. Calipari said what I have been saying on this show for quite some time. I think Jacob Toppin's due for a breakout. Remember, and I know Kentucky fans are going to make fun of me, Obi Toppin's brother, yes, but this was a guy that um, declared for the draft, worked out for a bunch of teams, worked out with NBA players during the summer with his brother. And if you watched him in Kentucky summer tour, um, that was a guy that looks like he is ready to dominate college basketball this year. I still think he's going to be a first-round pick. He's a little bit older, about 22 years old. 
But those guys are out. As long as they're back, I'm not too worried about it. I also thought it was funny. Calipari did say, by the way, he's like, I was not in favor of playing Arkansas twice this year. I think that's a testament. And I think it's kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod at Eric Musselman, a respect for what Eric Musselman has built at Arkansas. Really quickly, uh, Big East Media Days was on Wednesday. And credit to Zach Kroll. Uh, Zach Kroll is a writer for Aaron Torres Media. All my writing at AaronTorresOnline.com. And Zach was at Big East Media Day. He did a really good article on basically, um, essentially, like what to expect. He, he was at Media Day, and he did an article on one takeaway from every team. Thought it came out really well. Zach's going to be doing a lot of stuff for AT Media during college basketball season. Excited to have him on board. Um, but just a couple news and notes from Big East Media Day. Creighton picked to finish one. Xavier two, Villanova, remember, first-year head coach. Jay Wright is retired. UConn three, Providence four, St. John's five, Seton Hall six, Butler's Seton Hall, 7, Butler, 8, Marquette, 9, Georgetown, 10, DePaul, 11. So a couple things. One, Creighton. I know a lot of you, are you, you like college basketball. You don't love it. Creighton's a really good team. And Creighton is really interesting to me. They've become kind of a new school, old school debate. The people that really value analytics think they're overrated. People like me that think analytics are important but that you that they are not a be-all, end-all, I like Creighton a lot. And so I think everybody knows my stance on analytics at this point, but you know how I feel about analytics. The bottom line is analytics are an important tool to evaluate things and to help you evaluate, but they're not the only tool, right? I talk about it all the time. Brandon Staley, uh, Los Angeles Chargers, not a fan of him. Why? Because he blindly uses analytics. Hey, you know, you go back to that Cleveland Browns game about two, three weeks ago. He could have, you know, he could have punted pin Cleveland back with no timeouts. Instead, he goes for it down two. Cleveland gets a first down. They have a field goal to potentially win the game. Just because Cleveland missed the field goal doesn't mean that it was the right play analytically. And so why am I bringing that up with Creighton basketball? It's because Creighton last year, I believe they were never inside of Ken Pomeroy's top 40 at any point this year, at any point last year. And so everyone's saying, how can you like this team? Ken Palm didn't have them here, there, the other thing. What I would say is this. Ken Pomeroy is really good at what he does. This is not a criticism of him. What I would say, though, is his analytics are one tool in evaluating teams. For people who forget Creighton, they were a team. Lost their starting point guard early in the season, Sharif Mitchell. Then they lost their new starting point guard, Ryan Nemhard, right before the Big East tournament. They go to the Big East tournament. They destroy Providence, who's really good. They play Villanova in the Big East tournament championship game. Easily could have won that game. Go to the NCAA tournament. Beat San Diego State in round one. Round two, they play Kansas. They play Kansas tougher than anybody. So you have a team that was down their starting center, Ryan Kalkbrenner, who got hurt against San Diego State. Their top two point guards, and they almost beat Kansas in the second round. And so I bring it up because they now return four starters, uh, Ryan Nemhart. Uh, they also return, on top of that, a kid named Arthur Kaluma. Arthur Kaluma, learn the name. He's going to be a first-round pick, about 6'8", super athletic, whatever. Ryan Kalkbrenner, their starting center, is back. About 13 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, one and a half, uh, two and a half blocks per game. Best center in the Big East. And I say that as a UConn alum, I love a Dembona. Ryan Kalkbrenner's better. They had Baylor Shireman, the transfer from South Dakota State. This is one of the 10 best teams in college basketball. Okay. You can argue, you can debate. Oh, well, Ken Palm's analytics. No, they're one of the 10 best teams in college basketball. They deserve to be ranked here in the preseason. Again, that's not a criti- criticism of the analytics, it's just a fact. I thought it was really interesting, Xavier at number two. 
So I talked to a coach in the Big East earlier this week. He said, I'm not so sure I wouldn't have Xavier at number one. What do you need to know about Xavier? Well, they return a bunch of key players, but the important thing on them is, as I told you on when, on Tuesday's show, Sean Miller is now their head coach. And I know a lot of people don't like Sean Miller, but you know th- Sean Miller has the third highest win percentage in Pac-12 history behind only John Wooden, only Lute Olsen. Sean Miller is number three. They bring back f- four of their top six scorers, including Colby Jones, another guy who's projected as a first-round NBA pick, Jack Nunji, leading scorer and rebounder, Adam Kunkel, many of you remember, great three-point shooter. This is a really good team. And I had somebody tell me, I said, they, they said, I think this is the best team in the Big East. And keep in mind, they were good for a stretch last year, but they completely fell apart under Travis Steele, their former head coach. He gets fired. Well, what ends up happening? They hire a better coach, four of six starters back. They steamroll everybody in the NIT. This is a really, really good team. Villanova at three, listen, we just don't know. You lose, what I would say about Villanova really quickly, it's been an interesting fall. Everybody remembers that you lose Jay Wright, okay? We all know about Jay Wright. What's interesting, though, is this. They also lost Colin Gillespie, who I think you could argue for that particular team was as important as any player in college basketball. 15 points, four rebounds, three assists, 42% three-point shooter. He was incredible. Just a great college basketball player. I don't even know if he's playing in the NBA right now. They also, Justin Moore, their second leading scorer, got hurt in the Elite Eight. We don't know if he's going to be back this year. Cam Whitmore, McDonald's All-American, hurt out for the start to the season. So you start to add stuff up. It's going to be tough for Villanova under Kyle Neptune, their new head coach. I'd be a little bit worried. UConn at number four. Listen. I made my spiel on UConn the other day. I don't think there's any way they should be outside the top 25. If you want to fight for them at four, that's fine. Now, what's ironic about that is in the AP poll, they actually got more votes than Xavier. So if you're going based on the AP poll, you would have them as the third best team in the Big East. I would say if I had to vote, I would have them either third or second, depending on how you feel about Xavier. Uh, I'd probably go two because I really like their personnel. Now, Andre Jackson, their starting forward, is out to start the season. Jordan Hawkins is the name to know. Just going to be a stud. Uh, also, Tristan Newton transfer from East Carolina. And Adama Sonogo, preseason player of the year. By the way, Mountain West, two teams there. San Diego State, White Wyoming. Both made the tournament last year. Both are going to be really good this year. Um, and there's some other stuff from college hoops, but I think that's the big stuff. The big stuff is Greg Sankey going crazy on us, but more importantly, uh, getting to some of the other stuff from media days. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. What an episode. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. You guys and girls know the deal by now. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. New episodes dropping every single day, 9 a.m. Eastern time. A lot of good stuff on YouTube. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod are Torres on accounts. If you're a UConn fan, Torres on UConn, Torres on UK, which is Kentucky, Torres on the Hogs, which is Arkansas, Torres on Bama, Torres on the Vols, Torres on Auburn. We have 10 total. Make sure you're following. That said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. Fun show today. Quick show today. Let's get going. Shout out to Torn. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I will be back on Friday on the new episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.